Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Ogasha Galia Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel Comics series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we've gone grave robbing to celebrate the end of the Ellis era alongside Excalibur number 104, Buried Secret, in which Kitty Pride is a jerk. Excalibur number 104 was originally published in December 1996, and the creative team is John Arcudi and James Felder on writing, Brian Hitch, Rob Haynes, and Scott Koblish on pencils, Paul Neary, Scott Koblish, and Rich Ketchum on inks, Arianne Lenchuk and Malibu Color on colors, Richard Starkings and Comicraft on letters, and Matt Adielson and Paul Trone on editing. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? Yeah, I stabbed a man in the heart. I saw that. Brick killed a guy. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. Welcome back to what I want to call the beginning of the end of Excalibur, but I don't want anyone to panic. There's still so much Excalibur chat in store, and the usual crew is here to Excalibur chat with you, but who are we, starting with myself? I am Dr. Anna Papard, a sometime writer, sometime teacher, all-the-time person who thinks too much about representations of gender and sexuality in comics and pop culture. In conjunction with all of those things, I am the co-project lead of the Twitter account Sequential Scholars, where, relevant to Excalibur, I think we're probably revisiting Mojo Mayhem, <laughs> perhaps at the time of this episode dropping. At Andrew's behest, he just can't stop <laughs> telling the word, world about Mojo Mayhem, but I'm here for it. Um, I am also always and forever Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager, and in that capacity, I am wondering why an artist so obviously influenced by Alan Davis draws such a lousy Kurt, mm. but such are life's mysteries. We will talk about it. I'm joined, as always, by Mav. Are you ready for a fresh start this week? Sure. I mean, so the beauty of what i've been doing is like i just built a new barbecue smoker now I, if, if you've been following me on like facebook or, or instagram you'll see that i posted a picture of it and people were like oh wow welcome to smoke to to the world of smoking it's so exciting but you, what you don't understand is i already had a smoker this is my fifth barbecue <laughs> grill that's on my back porch right now now what? this is a problem because Wait, if you, yeah i have wow. five cur currently they're, they're very different <laughs> No, okay, 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 so, okay, so, okay, okay, okay. So, so, because I, okay, this is, this is my offset, um, this is an offset smoker for deluxe offset smoker with six cooking surfaces. And this will be, will replace the single bullet smoker that I have right now. So that, so that I can get rid of. I don't need the, um, the vertical smoker I have. If I have a vertical offset smoker, there's no reason to have both of them unless I'm smoking just like really a lot of meat. But beyond that, I've got, um, I've got a kettle, I've got a barrel barbecue grill, and then I've got a kettle barbecue grill that I refer to as my my overflow grill. Sometimes you're making too much stuff for the barrel okay, grill, okay. and you need to move to the overflow grill. I also have an outdoor fireplace with grill attachment. This I mostly use for making fajitas, things like that. This is for like you know when you want to when you want to grill something over an open flame instead of over charcoal or over sure. uh, over, over wood wood burning briquettes. So that's five. My wife does not approve. She does not think we need five barbecue grills. So we've compromised down to three. I get to keep 
three of them. <laughs> um, and now, to be fair, the Overflow Grill mostly it's it's been it's been in my garage. I've been keeping it there. I haven't I, I don't use it very often because again, it's only there for when you have too much stuff for the barrel grill. It's a, it's an Overflow Grill, so that will be getting a new. A friend of mine um, was in need of a barbecue grill, so she's going to be taking it. And I think she's. I'm also going to give her my beloved, you know, regular vertical smoker since I have the offset. So I'll be down to three barbecue grills by possibly by the time anybody hears this, but by the end of the summer. And that's how my life's going. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, was so long again, <laughs> 105 episodes or whatever it is in. I, I, you, you don't need to hear me say, oh, I study pop culture. I have another podcast. I teach at University of Pittsburgh. All of that is well and good and true. You know, like my name is Christopher Maverick. Oh, I forgot to say, hi, my name is Christopher Maverick. You can call me Maverick. <laughs> Um, but like, yes, all of those things are true and you can listen to any of those things, but for the truly exciting things going on in my life, I mean, you have to understand how incredibly excited about this, uh, about this grill I am. It, it's almost as big as I am. It is. If you look at the pictures, we should post a picture. It is. I mean, I could grill a human being in this like legit. It's, it's great. It is amazing. <laughs> that's right. And I'm very happy about it. So that's, so, so again, you know, okay. This is the good point of today's podcast. Cause I don't love this book. So, you know, like this is the cheery me. I'm real excited about my barbecue grill. I also, you know, Amazon prime day was recently. So I got myself a barbecue meat thermometer that has six separate probes. Cause I've got six different cooking surfaces. So I need to be able to probe on different levels and keep the grill, the grill heat constant. I'm, I'm like, I'm very into this. <laughs> so, I, so that's I'm, I'm happy up. for you. You're making the most most of your summer i mean i went for a number of dog walks because it's only moderately smoky today so you know i'm trying to make the most of it myself but um anyway moving on andrew are you feeling properly invigorated about all these new writers and artists this week how are you doing i i kind of am like i i think i like this issue and i'm excited to speak wet with you guys about it oh that was definitely the line that stood out to me andrew it's so inappropriate so inappropriate (laughs) there are children listening (laughs) um that that wet wet boy i'm so sorry did not like that (laughs) uh i'll take mavs lead um I don't know. I'm, I'm Andrew Demand, lecturer at St. Jerome's University. Um, one of the cool things I have happening, though, is I'm launching a new course this fall on um, yes. sexuality and well-being in comics, uh, which should be fun because there's some cool comics that deal with the subject of sexuality in ways that are unique to comics and their processes of embodiment and representation. And I'm hoping to have fun with that. Yes. And also and I... my hair. Yes. <laughs> Your course is going to be awesome, Andrew. I know you've been trying to get that off the ground for a while, and what you posted in the syllabus looks amazing. I don't know how we would possibly have any people who already go to your school that don't listen to the... I mean, maybe there's some confluence there. Anyway, go take Andrew's course if you're able to take Andrew's course, because it looks amazing, obviously. It's like getting to to have a (laughs) two-hour podcast with Andrew all to yourself every single week. Um, And you have to pay for it, but, you know, still, still. I I, I don't really want to do that part, but if I could audit it, that would be great. Yeah. I've I've paid for a lot of school (laughs) in my life, and I would like to be Mm -hmm. done with that. (laughs) Anyway, let's get to our fabulous guest and start talking about this comic. So we have the absolute honor of being joined this week by a person who is both an excellent expert and an excellent artist. The pod is thrilled to welcome the one and only Karen Charm. Hello, Karen. Hello. Oh, gosh, oh, golly, wow, podcast. (laughs) delight and pleasure to be here thank you so much for the invitation well thank you so much for for showing up i'll tell the listeners a little about you and then we'll get into all of your awesome stuff so karen charm aka k chap is an x-men fan and eternals enthusiast on twitter they co-wrote the comics xf chris bachalo primer with my guy adam wreck and defended Paige guthrie on the cerebro podcast they are also an ignatz nominated cartoonist and colorist for clients like Scholastic and for a second just so many awesome things and I'm so excited to have you with us um and I know you a little bit from these various things and from the comics xf crowd but as I always say we haven't talked about those truly important things that you should talk about when you're getting to know somebody which is what is your comics origin story Karen when did you first fall in love with comics tell us about it I try. I wrote this out to try and be as brief as possible. <laughs> um, but be basically, as lengthy as you like, would like, please. Oh no, no, no! Sort of a a, a lifelong love affair. 
Um, my family was always really receptive to cartoons and comic strips. The funnies were the most important part of the newspaper in our house. Um, you know, Peanuts, Calvin and Hobbes, um, The Far Side were all huge. Growing up, I have a bunch of conflicting or overlapping memories of when I was introduced to the X-Men in particular, but mm. the 1990 trading cards were an important part of that. And um, my that mom, when so I asked much. her, what's that? That comes, up, that comes up so much on this show. amazingly so (laughs) yeah they were so cool and i remember asking my mom it's like why did we start doing this and she was like i don't know i think because you like the ninja turtles cartoon it was like you know these are also mutants and like the baseball card thing i don't know anyway so that was kind of like my entry to the marvel universe and like i absorbed all the information made me think i knew everything about it more than anybody else even though i hadn't read anything but i started to collect random issues around like 93 including uh excalibur number 65 which has been like deeply embedded in my memory forever a lot of those early comics I have were just kind of like randomly had Nightcrawler on them. So I think, uh, you know, Anna, I think the appeal is intrinsic <laughs> to his design. <laughs> but I didn't really start getting into it until I met Joe Matarera's work doing the X-Men through Wizard Magazine. And um, so I sort of started to catch the wave as the Age of Apocalypse was taking off and like Joe Mad was ascendant on Uncanny. And then I was increasingly invested in the line until Grant Morrison was wrapping up their run. And I was like, well, they just wrote the perfect ending to the X-Men. So I think I'm going to step out. And then not long after that, I started to explore the alt slash independent slash small press comics world. And um, around the like 2008 or so, I gave myself a crash course on the rest of comics history <laughs> as like a medium. And like the small press world is kind of like where I've been until X-Men Red brought Jean Grey back. And then I was back into the X-Men. As far as Excalibur, uh, if you were paying attention to my timeline and sort of reading between the lines, you were like, okay, that's like Onslaught era. So the (laughs) crossover was really working for me. So it got me to buy issues of Excalibur. (laughs) And Carla Pacheco covers certainly didn't hurt. And that's that. (laughs) Well, I am going to ask you more questions about X-Men. I want to, I mean, I know a little bit about this because you wrote a really wonderful essay for, we did a feature last summer, I think, or maybe the summer before. I am losing track of time. I think it was was last summer. We did our best X-Men stories over at Comics XM. Time is an illusion. I Mm -hmm. know. And you wrote such a wonderful, (laughs) such a wonderful piece for that, which we will definitely link in the show notes. But yeah, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about what, what draws you to the franchise, you know, what keeps you coming back to this story world and these characters for all these years yeah and i will say just off the top it was such a pleasure to work with you on that you're such a great editor and coach oh. and just um says like oh i can see why having a class with you would be amazing but um Aww. it really made the experience so much better so thank you yeah so i've been thinking about this a lot since i've like sort of returned to x-men and it's sort of like on the one hand it's just like this is the one that i chose like at the time and i sort of think of it as like you know your hometown team for like sports it's just like you were born here and it's like oh yeah this is this is my team and you're like super invested but you actually don't have any connection to them at all it's just sort of like this really emotional stakes you build up i do know that like the costumes specifically like the simonson x factor outfits the like sort of like graphic x on everything really help like attach me to the x-men in particular and um it's kind of funny that my biggest connection to sports as a kid was like logos and team uniforms so it's definitely always very (laughs) visually related and um obviously i mentioned joe mad before but it was kind of like this is like the best art i've seen probably because it was the most graphic and like cartoony and like the video games i had grown up with which were essentially like an adjacent like exposure to like anime and manga which Mm -hmm. were obviously big influences for joe mad on the other hand you know, as I've 
been thinking about it more and like asking why they resonate with me besides the visuals i think that like the community support and protection aspect speaks to me more than other superhero fiction and it's like every now and then i'll pick up a more street level book and it's like oh there's just so much policing there's always like oh there's so many muggings and everybody's getting sent to jail and it's really like congratulatory about things that i'm kind of like eh, i don't know about this so (laughs) the uh the x-men stories seem to the way they think about like justice in quotes is slightly more interesting to me and yeah i think as i've embraced my like identity in the past few years and this is part of what i wrote about um in that piece that Anna was talking about. I was talking about uh, Marjorie Liu's Astonishing X-Men run and Warbird specifically. And like Warbird is one of my favorite characters, particularly because of how Liu wrote her. But um, just the sort of like underlying like queerness and also not so much like rejecting as much as like a marginalization of their being. It just makes it more resonant. And it's sort of like Warbird and like Dazzler were kind of like the things that put the puzzle pieces together a little bit for me is like, oh, I can see how this is like meaningful, like on a personal yeah. level. Yeah. And um and I think also the uh, prominence of humanized female characters is like, you know, can't be discounted. So many good things there. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about your own <laughs> comics, though, and sort of like some of your inspirations and stuff, because I love that you mentioned your passion for costumes because you do so many good things when they do that redesign series over at CXF. Yours are always, always killing it. But yeah, I mean, let me just ask you in general, you know, have you, have you always made comics? Like what's been kind of your trajectory as a comics maker? Yeah, I feel like I really started making comics in earnest, like around when I was in college. And I guess like my, through my brother, I was sort of had a bit of a connection to some aspects of like web comics when I was in high school and I like made little things every once in a while but I wasn't super like when I was in college and I was like studying like you know Chris Ware and whoever I really when I started making my own stuff and it's kind of like been the past like 20 years essentially and then like around 2011 is when I started going to conventions and um, really like getting involved in that community so it has been for a while but I have to admit that I was not always making my own zines I was just kind of like for the longest time I was trying to recreate the uh, trading card sort of vibe which um, the costume redesigns kind of fits into that too just like drawing little pinups of characters is always fun and you can do it around the other things you're doing in your life yeah yeah i mean we're always looking for time to do these things but um can i ask you a specific question about when you approach one of those redesigns of a character and like think about your own version of them i mean what are some of the things that you think about as part of that process like do you think about kind of the history of the character do you think about kind of your preferred vision of the character i mean if you're if you're willing to talk about it i'd love to to hear a little bit about it yeah i think kind of both i try to For a lot of them, it's like I do try to think about something that is something that hasn't really been done before, but still fits within the character's DNA. Um, Like I did one that was like a Shatterstar that was like totally like really bizarre. He had like a a giant (laughs) floating star over his face and his like like striped colored like body paint <laughs> and it was like i don't know just like a weird alien from another dimension it'd be fun to <laughs> take like a weird take on it it's funny we, you've been talking on the podcast so much about this era of the costumes and like specifically kurtz and it's just since this was kind of when i really like jumped into the deep end with comics is like this kind of costume design is pretty like embedded in my dna <laughs> yeah, so yeah. i will put like the little like pockets yeah not so much pockets but like you know like knee pads or like Uh, the big like chunky bits on the back of the hand for no reason (laughs) it's just i don't know that's the kind of stuff i like and um also i look at fashion stuff and a huge project runway fan so Uh. i kind of will make it work take yeah exactly (laughs) 
I love it. We'll link all kinds of stuff um, in the show notes in case people aren't aware of the stuff that you get up to because it's all awesome. Um, I definitely want to hear your thoughts about the art in this issue, though. So let's let's get to that issue summary and I'll come right back to you for your first impressions on this comic. So I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. I still sometimes marvel at how many of you we've maintained post Claremont and Davis. (laughs) But if we want to keep our very unpaid (laughs) jobs rambling on about Excalibur, we better keep making you happy and in the interest of doing so. Here's that plot summary. Excalibur number 104 opens in a cemetery in Salem Center, Westchester. The members of Excalibur are visiting the grave of their dead friend, Doug Ramsey. Douglock watches, declaring repeatedly that he's right there. Why can't they see him? Douglock watches as another version of himself bursts forth from Doug's grave, and then he wakes up. It was all a dream. Apparently, a recurring one. Meanwhile, in the torrential rain outside the Muir Island Research Center, Colossus ponders the irony of his situation. He can turn into organic steel to protect himself from the elements that would erode a mountain into dust yet he cannot shield himself from doubts about his purpose, reignited by Xavier's transformation into Onslaught. Inside, Kitty and Pete Wisdom watch Colossus brood. Pete makes fun of him, and Kitty doesn't like it. She calls him a bitter sod and attempts to storm off. Pete follows, but the argument is interrupted by Doug Locke, offering peanut butter sandwiches and Doctor Who. We cut to Kurt telling, or more appropriately, ordering, strange, Moira to share the Xavier Protocol info with the rest of the X-Men, then back to Pete going robo-racist on Doug Locke. Pete accuses Doug Locke of keeping secrets in response, Douglock transforms into versions of Kurt, Kitty, and Pete to unleash some sick burns, then has a teenage angst freak out and jumps out the window. Kitty's still pissed at Pete, but he also got into her head. She wants to go to the States in the Midnight Runner to investigate Douglock's origins, and Kurt reluctantly agrees. Half the team flies off, and the rest of the team get attacked by the Mutant Liberation Front, led by Danny Moonstar? She's undercover. The MLF is looking for the Xavier <laughs> Protocols. Elsewhere, Kitty Rain and Douglock arrive in Westchester and visit Doug Ramsey's grave. Douglock recites a line from his dream that Kitty recognizes from the past, causing her to lunge at Douglock, demanding answers. Douglock insists he isn't Doug Ramsey, but that's not enough for Kitty. She phases into the ground to investigate the grave and finds the decomposed corpse of Doug Ramsey staring back at her, which constitutes a cliffhanger. I guess. I was a bit confused by that. But anyway, we'll talk about it. Karen, coming right back to you for your first impressions. What did you make of this issue? What mood are you bringing to the convo today? I'm bringing a positive mood. Um, Great. I think that, you know, if we're thinking of this as like an Excalibur comic, I don't know if it really feels like that anymore. It's Mm -hmm. a long way from sex farce. But as like an X-Men comic in the larger scheme of things, I'm pretty into it. The art, you know, two out of three, I think is like pretty strong. The storytelling, maybe not so much. But um, yeah, I think there's a lot here that I think is intriguing. But I kind of have a feeling it doesn't go places that I would like it to. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of dangling plots happening here. I want to I want to come back to you for some combo about the art because we had this early Brian Hitch art that I'm very eager to talk about. But um let me pick up some first impressions from the guys first and we'll come back to it. Um Andrew, how are you feeling about this one? I think you sort of said you intimated yeah. you were kind of excited, so hit me with it. Yeah, it, it's got that kind of raw energy of a bunch of new people, probably very young coming into the book, but yeah. like they're swinging. Like you were giving your introduction. There's a a lot of writing. A lot of it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's kind of what I wanted to isolate because in your issue summary, you were pointing out that there's some kind of um, stilted language. There's stuff that doesn't really work, but there's also some really good lines in this. There are. Yeah. Uh, Colossus at one point says, I have buried the heroes of this future too many times. Mm. That's a good line. Mm. Uh, Doug Locke says, I am what? who i am isn't that enough that's a great line for him even the speak uh wet or whatever it is not metallic that's yeah. actually a pretty good line in terms of characterizing how a robot would think of gross sure. biological organisms talking like mm-hmm. i don't know I-, I feel like the scripting was there when it was there uh and the story was trying to do some cool emotional things doing some good character stuff i like this issue it's imperfect but it wears its imperfections kind of proudly um and for me that made it really enjoyable that's a great way of putting it because I was I mean my just brief first impressions were going to be like it was melodramatic all the hell but I kind of love that yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway Mav I think you're coming with like less positive things to say so how are you feeling less positive is how I'm feeling I'm not gonna pretend I hate this I don't hate it it's fine I guess I'm gonna be honest about it about this one of the weird things about doing this show is I've read I've read the entire run of Excalibur through, you know, at least two or three times before we started doing the show because I love the book. And the opening parts of Excalibur, 
I've read several times, right? Like a whole yeah. bunch. But as as the series goes on, not as much so. I this this arc doesn't stick out uh, in my mind enough to where like I'm sure I've read it because I remember knowing about the Danny Moonstar stuff ahead of time, right? But I don't remember how this ends, and I don't remember what happens next. And that time of recording, I've not read ahead to read the next three, two issues, two or three issues. <gasps> how so exciting for you! Have, yeah, yeah. So it's and this is something I don't get to do very often on this show, like where I'm like I'm like reading it almost like I would have read it you know 25 years ago or 27 years ago whatever it's been so that's neat that said i was just it didn't hit for me i don't hate it what i feel like and i always i always say this every time we switch writers which is a lot on this book so and so is going to be the writer of record here and he needs to be given enough rope to hang himself and that's important and i want to believe that here however there are some problems what i know for instance is that i know that john arcady is not going to be the writer of record <laughs> um for like he doesn't get to do the next issue so it's weird and it feels like i think andrew's exactly right like this is a bunch of people taking a bunch of new people because there's it's writing by committee there's a plotter and a scripter and three pencilers and three anchors and it feels like people are taking their swing and it doesn't all come together to me and what i notice is i i see too many of the strings on the puppets right i see people writing this going i'm gonna do a claremont watch me do a claremont I'm going to do a Claremont right here. And then Colossus goes and has an internal monologue for 47 damn pages. And, <laughs> and it's a lot. And it's, and it's, it's the kind of thing that like, it didn't strike me. <laughs> Claremont's a lot more restrained than people give him credit for. Cause he's sort of known for the melodrama, yeah. but it struck me the way that, when Claremont was doing X-Men and then they'd make fun of what he was doing. And uh, do you remember the book? What the, what the was like a mad magazine that, that Marvel did that was just spoofs of their own comics. And they would spoof Claremontian X-Men and it would just be these people going, I'm the best there is at what I do. And what I do isn't very pretty, but what I do when I do it is I do this and I do that because I'm the best and I am the best. And it just goes on and on being Wolverine. And this felt like that in so many pages. It felt like somebody had read the entire Claremont run and said, I'm just going to do that and didn't quite nail it. And I appreciate the swing, but oh my God, I got so tired reading this. I, I was just like, how much more is, how much comic is in this? And it's just it like, feels long. Yeah. We're, we're only on page four. How can we only be on page four? <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing happened. So, so I didn't love it. I um, do like the artwork because I'm a writing fan. <laughs> I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it's early, it. It's early hitch. It's not, it's not what hitch becomes, but I, but I appreciate that. But like, as far as like, since I don't remember what, where this, and we'll talk about details when we, when we go through the book, but there are a few things that severely turned me off but as far as what was going i'm like it, it didn't hit for me and i and i wanted it to yeah that i mean that's fair i mean it's a bit of a i mean yeah i like kind of i'm just focusing on the hitch parts of the issue as like mm -hmm. a story and then the rest of it i kind of i'm not gonna lie i kind of ignored the whole mutant liberation front plot when i was thinking about it because it's the other parts that interest me more i don't know well let's talk about the brian hitch of it all because this is obviously someone who's gonna become a really important artist at Marvel. He's currently doing some Fall of X stuff, or maybe just the covers. I don't remember. But obviously, somebody He's bringing the Ultimate Universe back. That's He's right. A... We're that doing that again. Right I like. Oh, I keep getting no. confused about that because I don't understand why we're doing the exact same thing we did before, and I feel like I'm going crazy. But anyway, that's because on money, topic. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. A fresh <laughs> I mean, new take. How... A fresh yeah. take. <laughs> I understand how. But also, so on one hand, it's like we've done this before. We're retreading ground, and you know, is it interesting or is it not? On the other hand, you know, money. I just <laughs> money is the thing. I just could have sworn that when I was first getting into comics, I read Brian Hitch Ultimates. But I mean, I must be misremembering that because this no, is no, a no, mistake. no. You read that and money. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's exactly that. There's just no more. <laughs> but anyway, let me come back to you for it, Karen. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Are you are you a Brian Hitch fan? I definitely was, you know, speaking of the Ultimates, that was like, at the time, felt like, wow, this is like the best it could ever be. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I think that the early Hitch is like pretty good. And I am well aware of like, uh, you know, his current 
stiffness and also sort of his like determined inability to draw like hairlines for his black <laughs> yeah. characters and yeah. <laughs> uh, he has no seems to exhibit no interest in learning or even but, an antagonistic <laughs> right yeah that's the word i was looking for it, yeah. <laughs> exactly um but i think this is pretty good there's like a same faciness that becomes a problem especially in the middle of this issue but um i think what really works for me is the way he draws Douglock, which isn't very warlocky um no, you know it's pretty far from sinkevich but it's like for what it is like that sort of detailed robotic whatever it's pretty like pleasing to me so i'm like you know this is a good issue for him to draw and just like generally his like storytelling is very dynamic which is always what i like want yeah. to get in any comic i'm reading so yeah absolutely yeah there's some good you know i like the one where kitty's head is like bursting out of the panel while pete's having the argument with Douglock. Douglock. there's some good techniques like that i mean if you had to describe pitch's style karen like how would you describe it like i was thinking of all these different things like i want to say like photorealist a little bit but like i was also thinking about kind of the legacy of people like neil adams but also alan davis because i see both of those artists in his work a little bit like what do you think am i off base there would that be like a reasonable way to describe his work oh yeah totally and i think it's really important to note that like paul neary is inking him yeah, and i yeah. think does for most of his like shares a lot of inkers with alan davis so i think that's like a very like it's there and um he definitely like is leaning more into like photorealism as his career goes on like this is i kind of like compare him a lot to pacheco at this time but i think that pacheco is like way more dynamic and i think like a bit angular which i like more there's a roundedness to everything that hitch is drawing that um I don't know. I remember as a kid, like he drew a couple issues of like Uncanny X-Men when mm -hmm. uh, Rogue and Bobby went on their road trip and I like did not care for it at all. But I've definitely like come around to it over time. But yeah, I think like this issue is pretty strong. The other artist too, like Rob Haynes. I remember like talking with you um, sort of on Twitter about like the Casey Jones era of Excalibur and sort of this issue making me realize that Jones and Haynes are close enough that I would like collapse them in my mind. So I was like, which one I do I really that. like? I think that the Haynes pages in this issue are like super gorgeous and I love them. They're like pretty illegible in places, which is a bummer <laughs> when you are trying to figure out what's going on. But that's why comic books have words. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and this one has lots of them, so... <laughs> yeah i mean yeah that was like i don't know you're thinking about them doing the issue and you're just like yeah like he's got to come in here and just draw three real confusing pages of action like in a hard break for pitches style so that is not an enviable task but yeah. but for what it is those pages are enjoyable i mean yeah well let me pick up some other some other hitch thoughts how about you mav like feelings about brian hitch as an artist i like him karen pointed out you know you want to compare him to pacheco pacheco is more expressive yes i, I don't i i yeah yeah i okay i love pacheco's art i like hitch's art i think hitch is doing a thing and i appreciate that he's doing a thing even this early this is early in in the uh, at least in the marvel career which will go on for quite some time as as you just pointed out anna uh, hitch is not just doing the image thing i i understand why there is some inspiration and I don't think he's just doing Adams and I don't think he's just doing Davis. I, I think he's taking in everything and he's trying to be his own person and he's trying to be unique. And uh, Karen pointed out, for instance, the way he draws Douglock. It, it's not the Sienkiewicz warlock. And I'm okay with that because it's like, oh, you are not just trying to rebuild what happened before to continue making money. It, it, it very much is a I'm on my own path and I like the um, I like the attempt a lot. Is he my favorite? No, but I, I really do like that this issue the i mean despite the fact that there's three separate pencilers and three separate inkers this issue feels like it's trying to have a direction in a way that this book has not felt in a while visually yeah anyway yeah i don't know uh, uh words i feel less the, <laughs> i'm less inclined to think so but visually this feels like it's trying to have a direction that like it's like oh you're you're doing a thing and i appreciate doing a thing 
my take on Hitch, and it's it's actually really hard for me to to read him outside of that Alan Davis context because we're we're in Excalibur, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my take on Hitch is he's doing Davis, but he's doing Davis very loud, like the um, uh. um, the way Nicolas Cage works as an actor. Everything is big <laughs> and expressive. Uh, and I don't think, again, Hitch is young in his career. I, I just don't think he has the, the subtleties and the nuances that inform sort of the background of Davis's artwork um, in, in a way that makes him a little more compelling. Because Davis goes pretty big, too, I would argue, in, in a lot sure. of his postures. Um, but here you're, you're getting that big, flashy surface without the subtle, let's call them undernotes and be wine snobs, right? And I wouldn't expect, you know much more than that for a young illustrator probably tasked specifically with imitating alan davis um so mm-hmm. it's good in that sense it's just um you feel that absence uh, again because you can't help but compare it to davis what i was really thinking about was sort of the soap operatic aspects of his art in this example and i'll say too that i actually like this a lot better than like his current work which i've kind of lost patience with a little bit i do see like a stiffness to his work now that mm-hmm. like the photorealism has become distracting to me in a way that I, I don't agree. necessarily enjoy and like I specifically was thinking a lot recently about I mentioned Fall of X so he does like a Fall of X you know cover promo image like inspired by Alan Davis's Fall of the Mutants artwork right and just having mm. those two images side by side in your mind you're like the Davis one is so much better <laughs> Like, yeah. it's hard like and I mean I mean better in terms of like composition and in terms of like the fluidity in terms of for me the way the expressiveness of the character bodies sort of you know even with all of these mutants passed out in a pile like they still feel like them somehow like you can bring that out of those characters and the, the hitch Davis page one, you know just... who each person is exactly you know exactly each person is on the Davis person yeah. even even almost 40 years later you know mm-hmm. who each one one is and on the on the hitch one even though it's modern i can pick out half the character and, it, and half of them i'm like is that iliana i mean iliana's my favorite character so i want to say it's iliana but maybe it's not it's just busier and there's less like grace to the composition it's just i mean it's it's you know it's an apples and oranges thing it's unfair to Mm -hmm. just like compare to like such a beautiful image from davis but because he's specifically aping that image it's hard not to so i was Mm -hmm. thinking about that in terms of my feelings about hitch but the artwork here again like the soap operatic aspect of it it looks very much like you know a newspaper soap opera comic strip or a romance comic in a lot of ways right and i think that that really worked for me in terms of the melodrama i mean there's some weirdness to it like seeing pete wisdom drawn in like a romance comic lead style (laughs) is like boy he had a real glow up like from like the way casey jones was drawing him to the way he's drawn like a total hunk here which is a little bit off-putting but still like they're having a melodramatic you know romantic argument so the style kind of worked for me and like again i think that's why i keep focusing on those parts of the issue because that was where like the style and the content were kind of working for me and i was kind of excited by the melodrama because i felt like the -the over-the-top writing and hitches sort of big soft art with the hunks and the big hair on the ladies and like kitty with her turtleneck and like her bangs that are like 10 feet tall i was like this is working for me i feel like these two things match i don't know whether i would say it's the greatest thing ever drawn or written but in terms of the art and the story working together i don't know i liked it i liked it i was i was excited for this kind of new take this new feel compared to some of the stuff that we've been doing lately let's talk about some of what we actually have going on the story here but we can of course keep talking about visuals if we want because i really want to talk about the scene where doug Locke transforms into the other characters which i think is really interesting but again i'll come back to you for it karen for some thoughts on on doug Locke as a character like are you interested in this iteration of well spoilers we know that this isn't actually doug ramsey and i guess we kind of get that revealed at the end of this issue but are you interested in kind of what's been going on with this character karen i think based on this issue i don't know if it really sells me but it's kind of when i came to excalibur doug lock was just part of the landscape so it's kind Mm -hmm. of I wasn't really comparing him to anything else. It's like, oh, he's his own character. So it's like I, in that way, I have always had an affinity for him. And I definitely like him a whole lot more, like in a couple years when Louise Simonson writes that Warlock miniseries mm. with uh, Pascal Ferry drawing it. I think that's like 
a really fun time but um as this issue if it was like up to like this was my only document where i could use to decide yeah. whether i like or dislike doug lock i'm like eh I don't know. It also <laughs> feels weird because it's kind of trying to pull a background story to the forefront. And it's mm. like, oh, Doug's been acting so weird lately since we came back from the Hellfire um, stuff. And it's like, is he? I mean, he's yeah. definitely <laughs> acting weird in this issue, but is it like that much different from how he's been? I'm not sure. And uh, it's trying to like, it feels like they're trying to put it over on me. Like, oh, yeah, this is totally what's happening. And I'm like, it doesn't quite convince me oh yeah that's totally fair i mean and we're backsliding here too in terms of the kitty and doug lock thing i mean she's gotten right. over this already but we're making her go through this again because you know i'm being kind of easy on that just because we're stuck in a fill-in era you don't have to be easy on it bab i think i'm just <laughs> inclined to be easy it. on it because i know we're doing fill-ins but i was i will say okay i was very confused reading it because when we were rereading the whole like similar to mav i've reread the Claremont Davis Excalibur so many more times than I've reread the second half of the series. So when we were getting Doug Lock introduced and the kitty was going through some of her own robo racism there and working through her feelings, I was like, wait a second, I remember this going on for a lot longer and yet it seems like it's resolved. I was like, oh, I get it. They just did it again. <laughs> And that's why I was confused. So it's yeah. very confusing. Doug Glock Chronicles was like issue eight. I know, I know, that was I know. Three years ago in publication time. Why? <laughs> why are we doing this again? That's what bothered me about it. It it was just like, oh, Kitty just regressed because we wanna like it's literally the same beat. Like you, you said we discover that. Doug Locke is not Doug Ramsey in this issue, except that Doug Locke's character for the last three years has been him continuously t t telling everyone, don't treat me like Doug Ramsey. I'm my own person. I'm not Doug Ramsey. I'm not Doug Ramsey. I'm not Doug Ramsey. So now it's like, surprise, it's not Doug Ramsey. Oh, well, yeah, we know because he says it all the time. And <laughs> yeah. so, like, so it's not really surprising. <laughs> It's just like, oh, so Kitty was just stupid all this time? She thought he'd get over it and decide that, yeah, he really is Doug? And if so, that's weird. And, like, to the extent that she treats him this way out of grief rain tries to give her a pass but i'm not willing to give her a pass because kitty's a jerk in this issue and not a jerk in the fun way that i like when she's a jerk yeah um, she's she's kind of she i mean she's not just a jerk she's an asshole she's yeah. really mean oh, yeah. and and so is pete wisdom and oh, yeah. frankly doug lock who's the victim here not great like there's just nobody in that in the storyline between Doug and Kitty and Pete Wisdom to the extent that he's in it. There's no one I'm rooting for. Like I just I, I'm rooting I, like, for Colossus this week. I thought yes. he was good in this issue. He, he was, was nice and he was just and really he did, sad. <laughs> and he did a nice thing when Doug flies out of the window and then he covers for him. He's like the storm can nice make scene. us all feel yeah. melancholy. You know, it's all good. And I was like, that was nice. Like, yeah. I like to he, take he a is... shower when I cry. So no yes, one knows. Yes. <laughs> oh he is doing yes. the thing where he's like, hey, you know, I feel tortured. Do I want to follow Magneto's dream or or Professor Xavier's dream or my own and it's like yeah peter you've been doing this for three years but fine new writer you know again for this issue so like that was the melodramatic part but like pete rasputin does nothing wrong here so sure i mean like I, like i liked him but mostly through comparison i i was just annoyed with kitty i sort of want to look at her and go and, and do the thing that we normally do of why are you with pete wisdom oh my god he's awful to you why are you here except that she's not sympathetic in this issue for me to care and that's kind yeah, of i know <laughs> and, and and they like, kind of deserve like, each other in this issue right, <laughs> right wisdom's wrong but so is she so it's just mm -hmm. like whatever at that point and i and i don't i don't want to feel that way about kitty pride ever i want to feel like i'm rooting for her so I've, I've said this before in the professor xavier's a jerk issue the which is you know one of the best kitty pride issues ever she is demonstrably wrong and Ilyana tells her that and yet i'm still rooting for kitty in that issue and i want that i want to be able to have those complex feelings for kitty and i don't i don't because i'm just like you've got nothing you're you're just wrong so stop 
No, I mean, that's fair. Like, yeah, they are very unlikable in the context of that mm -hmm. argument, which I do find funny because, I mean, this is the first issue with Pete Wisdom without Warren Ellis writing Pete Wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the Pete Wisdom we get. Like, they can't find anything redeemable in this no. character. <laughs> like Can Ellis I say, I thought that Pete Wisdom was so funny <laughs> this issue, yes, just the way please. he's, like, bugging <laughs> Douglock. It's just... I felt like that worked. He's a total asshole, but it's like entertaining. The scene where he's like, he's flipped <laughs> when I Doug know. is like running out of the window. That's the funniest panel. I so agree. Silly. I mean, it just, everything climaxed so quickly. It's like <laughs> he was doing the shape changing thing and then suddenly he just jumps out the window. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was really for, for me, the problem with that is Pete Wisdom going, it's not the real Doug Ramsey. Why can't anybody else see this? Why why do we trust them? And the answer is because we've known Doug Locke longer than we've known you. Literally, yeah, not Doug Ramsey. True. Doug Locke has been around longer than Pete Wisdom. So why are we having this conversation, new guy? <laughs> It's true. <laughs> I feel like uh, Pete and Kitty were too like wrapped up in their whole thing that was going on that they weren't really paying attention to the whole Doug Locke story arc earlier because Rain gets it, but they're just like, wait, what happened? You're not Doug? Sorry, we were like in another room. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's so true. We keep talking about the, um, just real quick, the face shifting. This is kind of like Brian Hitch, same face problem where it's just like he's transforming all these different people but i don't know who they are <laughs> it's like oh, i'm glad that he's like telling me who he's changing yeah. into because like the way he draws kitty is like so near identical to the way he's drawing moira <laughs> and it's just like the hair is different so it's like i don't know who these people and the are way he draws Pete wisdom like right there's, it's no, like... there's no obvious difference between those two panels to me it's like oh i guess it's a different fake hair lock okay yeah. sure <laughs> yeah so i know like i i wanted to like the destabilization of that especially because you know i would really like it to be like a thing where like this queer robot boy is like freaking out the streets but like particularly oh, oh totally wisdom. that's totally what's happening here it's like he like doug is doug lock is just like a normal like robot thing hanging out and all these like aggressively cis hetero people are around him and they just like will not <laughs> leave him alone and just like explain yourself it's like i already yes. have it's like no but make it make sense yeah. it's like i don't know how to explain it to you <laughs> the scene where pete he's like really giving william strikers like you dare call this thing doug ramsey yes i know he just wants to go watch television and like yeah. they're like no explain your identity to us right now right. and it's like <laughs> i mean i wish some of that discomfort had been yeah like communicated a little bit more effectively with the art because i think it could have been a lot more like visually destabilizing and yeah that that same faciness maybe it's not really coming across i wish it had been communicated better with the story because what yes. happened because you're right karen you're right and that's the story they're trying to do right like they're going hey doug lock is being forced and i don't know that they're aware it's like i don't even know that's what they're doing that's what right. i'm getting out of no, it no, but, well, yeah. no, I, mean, I don't know that they know totally. they're doing a queer narrative they're doing a doug lock is being forced to explain his identity and he doesn't want to He's done it a dozen times and he's just like, I'm so sick of this. Please let me go watch my Doctor Who. Like, that's what he wants to do. And then he's so he's so frustrated. Look, leave me alone or I'm going to jump out this window. I'm going to jump out this window. Fine. I'm jumping out the window and he jumps out the window. And then, no, okay, now we're going to go on a field trip where you can explain your identity to. Like, literally, why? Why are we going on this field trip now? He just said no, so we don't care what he said. And we're and then also Kitty and Rain, you can go by yourself but peter who knows peter rasputin knows doug ramsey he was friends with him no you have to stay behind because we just don't want you we don't feel like drawing you later i mean like like <laughs> i don't know what he's staying behind for he could go or you could just you could literally you know people are at the mansion you can just make a phone call like i know you can make a phone call because moira did it earlier in the issue she called hank she called hank you know hey could someone 
point a scanner down at Doug Ramsey's grave and make sure he's in there. That would be good. <laughs> like the logic of everything that happens in this issue, even this is unrelated to Doug. Kurt is like, hey, we need to tell everybody about the Xavier protocols. That way we can't just keep this on our on our own. Okay, I understand Kurt's point. I understand Murray's point, except for Gene and Scott were there when you discovered the Xavier protocols. The X-Men know about them. Like, and I and, and this is not hard. This is two issues ago. Just flip back. Like, <laughs> like you can just go look and see what we wrote a couple of months ago. I want everything to be interesting. And then the execution is so haphazard, probably because there's 14 people working on this book that like it, it just it just feels messy and sloppy to me. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm being so reparative this week. I don't know why I'm just in a good mood, I guess. And like, I want to be like the excessiveness of like going and looking at the grave. I mean, that's part of like the gothic melodrama of this issue, right? I mean, people are behaving yeah. excessively because that's the genre yeah. we're Andrew in this week. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andrew, what do you think? Are you like interested in any of these Douglock evolutions. So, I don't know. I, I think I have to acquiesce to Mav's point. Like, it, it is a resolved plot thread that's being rebrought up by a new set of writers. Conversely, I like the direction they're going with it much better than I like any directions that Ellis took with it. The yeah. idea of um, Kitty being angry and losing her cool and acting out of character. I mean, as Mav says, that can be delightful. I agree she goes too far here. I, again, the execution's not there. But the idea that she would do that in response to Doug, that she would become fixated and obsessive and yes, a little grave robbery mm -hmm. i like that i think that's a cool beat I, I would have liked to have seen it resolved that way in the original doug lock chronicles mm -hmm. which just kind of petered out because we were super eager to tell our x-files story um <laughs> so yeah no I, I i think i think it's okay to me it feels like a redo and i'm not as frustrated by that as i think mav is because i, I like some of the threads that are being picked up that i thought weren't handled as well elsewhere that's fair there's that one panel where she looks so evil she's like it is him i know it yeah. it's like what yes! are you do? <laughs> oh my god and i like, will murder him Oh my god okay well there's lots of stuff that we haven't talked about but i'm just gonna go to final thoughts so we can all have a chance to circle back to something or talk about something that we didn't get a chance to talk about because i've got a couple of moments that i want to go back to as well and i'll come to you with, with it first mav anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about or anything that you would like to sure to? danny moonstar is in this book i love danny moonstar i'm a big that's I'm why a big i picked this issue <laughs> I'm a oh big New Mutants fan. I, I you know, again, I, I I frequently say on the show, Ilyana's my favorite character, but I love the New Mutants. So, you know, Danny Moonstar, that's awesome. And you know what? I don't really remember why she's with the MLF. I, I, <laughs> like, I, like, I know I've read this before because I remember that she did join for to go undercover. I don't remember why. I don't remember where it happened. Like, I don't think it actually happened to Excalibur. Maybe she leaves in X-Force. I, I, I honestly don't remember how she got there. <laughs> it's not explained here. I had forgotten that her powers had changed to psychic arrows instead of, like, you know, mirages. So... I don't remember how I don't remember how any of that happened and none of it's explained here. And I'm like, huh, that's neat. It also doesn't matter, at least for this issue, because it's just like, hey, here's a surprise where these people are in shadow. And I'm like, in shadow, who are oh wow. That's right, Danny Moonstar's in this. I don't remember why. And then I get to the end of the book and I'm like, I still don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe they tell me next issue. I, I honestly don't remember. I'm excited to find out. That's here's my oh, excited wow. part for the episode. Now, it could be a total letdown because again, I don't remember why she's here. I don't remember why she's undercover. It could be really stupid. It could be completely unresolved. One of the problems with Excalibur during this era is it is the fifth string X book. So sometimes stuff will be mentioned and then just never brought up again. I think they continue the storyline, but I only vaguely remember. So I, so like, I honestly, I'm excited to see why Danny's around. Will she have a scene with Rain? Will it make sense? Will they remember that they know that they know each other? Probably not. You know, in <laughs> love with each other. I know, I know. <laughs> but 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 will they remember that? Probably not. Probably not. That's no. my, and, and 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 but but I but I'm excited to find out. You know, it's sort of it's sort of a there's this thing in this in this issue where Moira's like, oh my god, it's Danny Moonstar. I know her kind of from the X. You know her because your daughter talked about her incessantly like in Excalibur sometimes forgets that you know Rain is Moira it, it, Moira mentions it a couple times here she's supposed to be my ward yeah you 
think of yourself as her mother, you should be closer than you have been. So like Moira knows a lot about Danny. She's met her many, many times. And Danny's like, oh, you're not trustworthy enough to hold this stuff. Like, you like each other. What are you doing? But I want to know why she's out of character. And I want to know if they tell me next issue. And again, I, I'm not expecting much, but I'm excited to find out. So there's my. Oh my, my God. Thought. I'm so excited for you, Mav. I mean, I like the panel where I like the page where Moira finds out that it's Danny and she's so mm-hmm. shocked. Her glasses fall completely off of her face. They God, break. She, she, like, oh. The stem is yeah. detached. I know. I know. It's oh like they God, combusted on her face. How could it possibly be Danny Moonstar, the only person in comics with braids like that? <laughs> Her defining character trait in this era. I was I wanted a full view of this costume, so I was googling it and I couldn't find a full view of this particular costume because it's got the mask that's similar it's to that mask, yeah. extreme sexy She's, costume that she. It's that an she it's had, a it's but... a new minutes out. I mean, I'll tell you, it's a new minutes outfit with a loincloth and a mask. That's the outfit. I I remember it well. <laughs> that, there's the like a original like super sexy version where there's like not much clothes to it, but then I think that's this the one I was thinking of. Like, um, yeah. Mike Waringo, I think, draws it pretty like fully in like a annual or something, maybe like X Force mm-hmm. annual. But yeah, that's like this version, which is an improvement. Yeah, I was thinking of the bad girl version of it for sure because I remember right. the mask. But um, I don't know, Karen, did you get anything out of Danny Moonstar's appearance in this comic? Yeah, actually, that was like the whole MLF thing was kind of what I gravitated more towards because the Douglock, as entertaining as it was to me, it, like like Mav was saying, it doesn't make any sense and it's kind of very forced and like unnecessary but i feel like if you're introducing the whole idea of the xavier protocols in excalibur this is a really interesting way to follow it up like the mlf is just they're there for the legacy virus data but then they happen to find something like way more explosive and like after (laughs) onslaught it's like okay well we're the only ones we can trust to do anything with this so that's like there's like something so like there's so much potential there and i'm like really intrigued and it kind of goes like spy thriller a bit with this story is like okay this is like i'm into this i'll keep what happens like to myself so mav can experience (laughs) it for the first second time but it's you know i was like all right i'm like i'm digging this and yeah i always love to see danny come up she's one of my favorite characters so I was very happy about that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't have really any feelings about the MLF besides them being a concept that's so much more interesting than it was ever allowed to be as yeah. like a, a Liefeld creation. And um, yeah, some of the more exciting pages on this, if not necessarily ones that you could tell what's happening. Like it took me like <laughs> until my fourth read to realize that oh, no. Brian was getting shot in like, one of these pages it's like a really cool shot of danny with the bow and arrow but then it's like the way the panels are so angular and choppy i didn't notice that that like burning face was like a part oh of my god that's that's true i'm like looking at it now and i'm like i just glossed over it i was like oh yeah exactly. she shot someone and i was like oh no she shot brian that's kind of important <laughs> i get it you know what's great about this for me and Karen, you started, you, you touched on it briefly. They're looking for legacy virus stuff, but then they're like, oh, well, if the Xavier protocols are there, we're the only ones we can trust with this. The utter gall of that. Well, you know. <laughs> the, the other, the, the, I mean, and I almost sort of like it That's because, nice. you know, I mean, I know there's another team called the Upstarts and they're not the Upstarts, but like mm-hmm. the utter gall of these people to go, well, if these things are going to exist, we can't trust the X-Men. It must be trusted to us wild side and forearm and thumbelina uh, you, know, you know like these are people that nobody even remembers the mlf in that era <laughs> like you are the most you are the, you are literally 12th stringers at best danny moonstar is the most prominent of you and you don't seem to know who she is so you know and also like the whole time danny's undercover she's like oh i gotta like not let the mlf know that i'm like not actually with them and i can't like trust them to do anything and my secret identity is my last name right (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was just 
rolling with it. I was just like, it was just so, I mean, it's like, I think Karen said this at the start of our combo that, you know, maybe this issue doesn't feel very Excalibur, but it feels very X-Men-y because it is like, you're just minding your business, like trying to get some emails sent and like some group of <laughs> some sort of mutant upstarts is just going to interrupt your day. And you're like, who the crap is this now? We got to deal with this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of charmed by that. But anyway, um, Andrew, uh, anything that you would like to circle back to or bring up that we didn't get a chance to talk about enough? Uh, I will just quickly point to the fact that Megan has new superpowers. So everyone should take a drink. (laughs) That happens every issue. (laughs) And more interestingly, because we had a conversation about this a long time ago, the first panel of this entire issue is a confirmed canonical appearance of Nightcrawler's dorsal toenail. I'm raising my water bottle. <laughs> oh my god. I hate it so much. I'm I'm anti I'm anti toenail on the back toe. It's not correct. I don't like it. Well, I mean, it's relevant to me mentioning that I don't like Hitch's Nightcrawler. I mean, he just draws him like he draws everybody else. He's this like square jawed romance comic hunk, and I'm just like, what are you doing, buddy? That's not Nightcrawler. He kind of looks know. like my dad, to be honest, which is really <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Karen's dad is canonically blue. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I love that. I don't know your father, but I love (laughs) that inspired. Furry blue guy. What do you mean? It looks like this nightcrawler. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have a final thought. I wanted to just note, I think, a couple of things. Like, there's this lens flare effect on the cover of the issue, which I 100% thought was just, like, an imperfection in my digital issue. But no, I have the physical copy here, and it is an actual thing. I don't know how I feel about it. I think that it's visually interesting. doesn't quite work for me. I mean, erasing, like, the final three letters of your logo with a nonsensical lens flare, I don't know, is the best design choice. But still, I appreciate the effort and we didn't zero in on it by jj abrams Mm -hmm. (laughs) enhanced by malibu yeah (laughs) and like the the splash page of colossus on the cliff like that is just one of those comic book pages that there is so much going on like and i think about hitch spending all the time drawing all those curves and bulges of this guy's body and uh, i don't know that's like one of those comic book images that just gets my brain firing because there's a lot going on in terms of this is an ideal body and a monstrous body he's wet he's muscular he's sensuous it's just a really kind of monstrous destabilizing issue like image that i think is magnified by the melodrama of the moment so that's mm. one of those pages that i could rhapsodize about and <laughs> also the pants cutouts look good i know the pants cutouts i mean they look as ridiculous there as always but he's used it to his advantage to draw so many metal leg sinews going down <laughs> colossus's thighs and i appreciated that too so i just wanted to to spotlight that splash page as a as a fun and interesting one karen coming back to you for the final word on this issue anything that you would like to bring up or circle back to that we didn't get a chance yes this is very important actually the line where moira is talking about she notices that hank mccoy is not online (laughs) and um well which is you know like we can understand hank is you know chatting every night he's like booting up the modem but this is during onslaught when hank was the real hank mccoy was like buried behind a brick wall and dark beast was taking his place you might not know about dark beast because you've never read uh, the age of apocalypse mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. but um we're not familiar with, yeah we're not familiar with that right that's really, I never but <laughs> so just the idea of moira chatting with dark beast for like however many weeks <laughs> It's very funny, and um, I don't know. Catfish beast. Catfish beast. That'd be awesome. I didn't put it together. And not the ultimate beast. so funny i did tweet that out because i just thought the line about hank not being online because clearly hank's always online i was like of course he is that explains so much about hank but it's 
Stephen Dark Beast, which is even funnier. <laughs> I keep thinking about, I feel like I've probably said this on this podcast before, but like the current evilification of Beast and like the fact that there's also a Dark Beast. I'm like, it's that thing where there was like evil Bender in Futurama and they couldn't tell which one is which because they're both evil. <laughs> That's like what's going on with Beast right now. Anyway, um, just briefly, I'm not going to do a letter from the letter page other than to spotlight that it advertises our new writer who is going to be coming aboard, who is one Benjamin Rabb, and we will be dealing with the comics of Benjamin Rabb, starting at Excalibur number 107 after this brief fill in art, and we will talk about that more when we get to it. People are hard on the Rab era of Excalibur. I like feel like people are so hard on it that I want to be a little bit reparative about it, but we'll talk about it when we get there. And for now, we will just leave you with that little teaser trailer. Staying? There's a meeting of the round table. No. I can't. So we will wrap things up there. Other than to say, Karen, thank you ever so much for joining us. Before we go, we must remind our lovely listeners of where they can find you and how they can go about supporting all of your awesome work. So if you would like folks to find you online or in person, because I think... There might be a con coming up. Uh, whereabouts yeah. can they find you? So I will be tabling at FlameCon this year in August. So awesome. check that out. I'm very excited. For all my super nerdy pop culture stuff, you can follow Karen underscore X-Men fan on Twitter and Tumblr. And then pretty much everything else I do is at Charm Gardens. And then charmgardens.com is my website. And um, yeah, that pretty much wraps it all up. And it was so fun to be on the podcast. Thank you so much again. It was great to be able to talk back for real this time instead of just when I'm listening <laughs> at home. <laughs> oh, we really love that too. Always love chatting next comics with you. Just thanks so much again. Next, Kitty admits she's a jerk at Excalibur number 105, Hard Truce. Also, Forearm is there. He was technically here on this issue too, but, you know, that's always fun. I'm stretching. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, plus our holiday specials. You can find those via our website or the Vox Popcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest or a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, Gosh gollywow.com where we got some fun extras and via twitter at gosh gollywow where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras some of you have been reaching out as we're getting toward the end of the podcast and i will try to get as many people in as i can no promises but we're always willing to hear guest pitches from folks thank you andrew and mav for once again digging deep thank you karen for all your thoroughly charming insights thank you all for listening and a special thanks to maximilian of thought form music for our truly epic theme song play us out that's it. Mostly on time. <laughs> <laughs>